Polly Campbell, and this is Simply Said. Hello, hello, this is Polly, and you're listening to Simply Said, the podcast where we talk about how to live well, do good, and be happy. And I'm fired up for today because I have with us Dr. Carrie. Hastings, and she's a sports psychologist. And you know, I'm a huge sports fan. So that that kind of led me down this path. But also what I find interesting is that recently I've had a number of friends equate to the time we're living in right now with the pandemic and the election strife and the social injustice in the world and all these up and downs, ups and downs with being like a marathon or an endurance race that Every morning they have to wake up and they find this new reserve of energy to keep going. And I think it's different. (laughs) I think it does require endurance, but we know a marathon's going to end in 26 miles. Um, This one, we're we're finding new reserves of resilience every day. And so I thought I'd call in Dr. Carrie Hastings. As I mentioned, she's a licensed clinical and sports psychologist. And this is the fascinating part to me also is she is the mental health clinician with the LA Rams football team. And you know me, I'm a huge football fan. So what was interesting to me, Dr. Hastings, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Polly. I, I'm going to copy your greeting. Hello, hello, everybody. Hello, hello. Love that. <laughs> Got to get some energy in here, right? Yeah, let's go. You know, Dr. Hastings, what really attracted me when I started looking at how people are finding the resilience now during this time of ups and downs and uncertainty is uh, a lot of sports psychology stuff started popping out. And what was interesting is I saw these pictures of these big defensive and offensive linemen and these big men who were talking about this psychologist who saved them (laughs) and your name popped up. So I have all kinds of questions, but what intrigued me was some of these professional athletes, they're, the way they work back from injury, not knowing if they're ever going to play again, but they know they have to do the day-to-day work to get back just in case, reminds me a lot of what people are feeling now. We are getting up not knowing exactly what the day is going to hold, but we need to find a way to go forward and be as positive we, as we can because we're, we're working to get through this new normal. Do you see any sim- similarities between the work you're doing with the athletes and what we're doing in everyday life now? Absolutely. And really, that's the beauty of a lot of the uh, strategies under the sports psychology umbrella transfer into daily life and non-sport activities and stress and all of the above. So, you know, it's, it's for sure is applicable, you know, when I, whether I'm working with athletes on sport related issues or non-sport related issues, you know, some of those uh, approaches really do carry over and, and, you know, even in my practice working with non-athletes sometimes, you know, I'll use the same types of strategies to help them deal with stress or, you know, communication issues, um, anything really. What, what brought you to sports psychology in the first place? Were you an athlete yourself? I was, I, uh, I grew up in Pennsylvania and, uh, where I was, uh, on the tennis and track teams. And then I went on to the University of Notre Dame and was on the track team there as a sprinter and a hurdler. 
And, uh, and, you know, I, I could have used a sports psychologist, <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, it's not like it is now. And, and it's still new, that field, um, even now. But back then, you know, there wasn't really a designated sports psychologist. We had a, a counseling center and there was, um, I remember, a psychologist who worked with athletes. But now, you know, I know Notre Dame and a lot of other uh, schools do have on staff at least one specifically devoted to uh, athletes. I, I think we should all have a therapist on staff. And I'm, I'm not joking. I, I love therapy. I go in and out of it, even when times are good. I want to understand what my experience is and, and how I'm working so I can elevate my life, but also deal with the, the trouble spots before they come up a little bit. So I always talk about it on, on this show. I think, um, I think it's huge that athletes are getting it and that we all have a person who we can align with in our own lives to help us through a little bit. Yeah. And what you're saying, Polly, is so important because I think that is, is really underappreciated in terms of mental health is that there has to be something wrong. And, and, you know, you can see somebody for maintenance or, you know, just for general support or kind of just to be prepared if something comes up. And, you know, I really see, um, I love it when I have athletes, maybe who I've worked with through an injury or, you know, a personal issue and, and kind of once they're back playing or once it's resolved, they, they want to keep coming and they, you know, for maintenance and they, they want to keep growing with, uh, from our work together. Yeah, that, that's cool. It's good for all of us, I think, to, to start building these resources now that we know we can learn them. You know, resilience, those are qualities that we can get better at. Is, is that your experience? Absolutely. I think that, you know, way too often people wait for the outcome of a situation to deal with it rather than spending some time anticipating potential consequences. Mm -hmm. And when you anticipate, that helps you plan and prepare for, you know, best case scenario, worst case scenario, and all of the in-between. And it impacts your behavior, you know, leading up to the consequence. So I totally agree with that. What are some of the things that what are some of the connections or uh, the way you're drawing from your practice now to help your client? Cause you deal with, with non-athletes too, right? You have clients from all walks of life. Yes. Okay. Yes. In my, uh, practice. What are we facing now that we need to watch out for? How do we recognize our own stress? How do we, how do we step into this moment? Not knowing exactly when it's going to change or end. Sometimes you don't even realize how, stressed or overwhelmed you are until it's in retrospect right wow that wasn't me what was that about or you know it really feels out of character and sometimes you do sometimes it's very clear it's it's <laughs> you, know, you can feel it it's that mind body connection your your thoughts might be racing you you know your body can often feel more tense or you know it affects your breathing and, um, and, you know, sometimes it's others that notice it in you and, and may point it out um, in ways that maybe you didn't even recognize. Mm -hmm. But really, it's those noticeable shifts from your personality, whether it's, you know, withdrawing, um, isolation, or, you know, some people get angrier or kind of snippy 
or it's it's kind of just out, out of character behavior that you know you can link to some factors in one's life. Is there ever just one thing? I mean, honestly, yesterday I was the person you're describing. I I was really impatient at the end of the day. I was really irritable. And, and there was no good reason for it until my husband kind of got on me and he's like, what is up? You know, and I, there had been not one thing that had gone wrong. I think I just felt, I was just worn all the, all the hostility in the air and all the ups and downs. I think it just got to me and I didn't realize it. What can I do in that moment next time before I, I feel like that? Yeah, I mean, it's, and that's kind of the fascinating side of psychology in that sometimes you can even be triggered by things you don't realize. Mm -hmm. And and it might be something from the past and there was something that you came across and and it kind of triggered feelings because Mm. your body remembers and your mind remembers. And so even if you're not consciously or deliberately bringing some of that stuff back up, I think if you can recognize the potential triggers, so something like that and anticipate, like I was saying, you can implement some strategies to, to help yourself deal with them when they come. But, you know, as, as I was saying, you, you don't always know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I tell my daughter, she's a, a teenager and she just really loves it a lot when I tell her things you can imagine, but um, <laughs> well, what, you know, she, we're both very intense, passionate people. And I don't see that as a, as a downside at all, but it, it creates this intense emotion sometimes for us. And, and we talk a lot about having the feeling, but we don't have to behave from it immediately. Like I can rise up in that moment of irritability last night and just sit there. I, I didn't do it. I, I wasn't, I wasn't my best self last night, but what I'm trying to learn to teach myself and teach my daughter is I could feel all that and just sit there for a minute and, and see if I can understand where that's coming from or, or let it pass. Or I've heard that emotions physically pass in about 90 seconds. Is, is that accurate? And, and what do you think about just no, if we can stop ourselves from behaving just to take it in for a second? I, I think that's right. I think, you know, it, they can be fleeting and it, it is so important and so much easier said than done <laughs> to to yeah. sit with that discomfort and and feel it but that can save you from you know taking it out on others or you know even yourself in self-destructive ways if you can take five or you know step aside and just take those few deep breaths and and tap into healthier thinking patterns that can make all the difference. And that sets a new precedent because, you know, your brain is flexible, so you can change your way of thinking and the way you respond to things, but it takes practice like any other skill. And so, you know, it, it can be done, but sometimes it can be hard for people to be patient with that. The huge thing in my life for me over the years has been just to just to learn to slow down in everything. Like I just, I I would just go headlong and create more trouble for myself. Just be quiet and just slow down. But you're right. It's, I mean, everything has to align for me to be very good at that. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely need to practice what I preach more. And, you know, I think that what I have to do often is actually schedule it in my day. I do too. 
block a period of time to make myself do that. And, you know, one thing I actually did um, recently was there are many apps now, you know, that can help you with mindfulness and meditation or centering and, you know, all types of relaxation. And, you know, I, there, there's one that I, I like and that I recommend, but I didn't really want to subscribe, but sometimes I'll listen to um, some of the, the free benefits. And then I thought, you know what, I, if I buy this, I might actually make myself do <laughs> it. Do it. I'm going to experiment with that. And that did that. It kind of helped hold me accountable. And so there are, you know, if you can, you can get creative, but if you can find ways of kind of holding yourself accountable or having someone else close to you hold you accountable, that can make a, a big difference in terms of motivation. I, I think that's a really useful tip. And I think it's so helpful what you just said in the sense that you're not perfect at this. Nobody's perfect at this. But even one time, even using these little hacks to help us get in that space is not only going to help us feel better, but it's going to help us in whoever we interact with. Yes. And I think a a big piece to that is trying to stay in the present because, you know, it's so easy to get caught up in the past or, you know, dwell on the future what ifs and, and forecast what may or may not happen. And often when you don't know what's going to happen, your mind will go to the worst case scenario. But, and I say this to my athletes all the time, you know, come back to the present, you're getting too caught up, you know, you're dwelling on the injury or you're, you're worrying too much about if you're going to come back full strength, let's come back to now. What can you do today? And, and that can be a relief because you feel more in control. What can I do right now? Mm. I can't change what happened and I can't know what's going to happen, but I can, I can inhale and I can exhale right now. And maybe that's it for this very moment, but, but that's something. And, you know, so really trying to stay in the present can be healing. Is that how you would recommend we do it? Does it start? How, how do we get into it? Does it start with that breath and just say, okay, take a breath in right now? Is it that rudimentary in that moment? It doesn't have to be, but it can be. I think, you know, I think it's better. That's kind of if you, if it's more of an urgent situation uh -huh. where you might be really starting to feel panicky and you need to, in that moment, really settle. But you know, I recommend all the time, all sorts of relaxation strategies and encourage people to, even if it's just, if you can grab five minutes, three minutes in a day to, to carve out and, and deliberately do a relaxation activity or just sit and breathe, you know, and breathing is taken for granted. That's kind of the foundation for all relaxation. And when it comes to relaxing, there is a right and a wrong way to breathe. And, you know, especially, especially for athletes, but also, you know, anyone, when you get stressed, it, you tend, your breath tends to get high and fast. Hmm. And so the goal is to make it low and slow. And when you feel that you have control over your breath, you feel like you have control over something, which helps you feel a little bit better. Yeah. I think, I think the breath is one of those things that has helped me to pause. And I like what you said too, about needing to schedule this in, you know, I have 
moments written into my day book so that I can look at it and say, ah, okay, this is my mindfulness break, or this is where I'm going to get up and, and walk around the house. Do you have any exercises that we could practice as far as our breathing? I want to use this for the simply start segment. And this is where we kind of launch into the practical things we can do today to, to access this information and make it practical in our lives. So I think breathing is a great way to become present and get into this. Anything you suggest there? Yes, there are many breathing strategies that can help, you know, just, just relax and center and slow your mind down. One of my favorites is using some imagery where when you inhale and you want to fill your diaphragm right behind your belly button, you can imagine a balloon there that every time you take a breath, it fills. And then when you exhale, it deflates. And if you mm -hmm. can do that and you can imagine it slowly inflating and deflating, it also then gives your mind a specific thing to focus on. And if you are focused on that thing with enough detail and purpose, you can't be thinking about anything else. You Love can't that. be thinking about anything else. So focus our thoughts on this balloon, this, this process of breathing, and then let our body do that deep breathing process too. Right. And, and you have to keep checking in with your body, you know, so it's easy to kind of have that breath get high and fast again. And, you know, that, that really, since breathing really is the foundation of, of relaxation, it's, it's very practical in terms of what you're saying, because I tell people, you know, you can do it in the car. I mean, just practice it in the car during your commute home or your ride home from practice and, and use that period to just, you know, some, some people will turn on calming music and, you know, you can always adapt it to be your own and tweak it, you know, to be more personal, but, but it doesn't have to be necessarily, you know, scheduled and sitting in a dark room mm -hmm. um, at your home. I mean, you can, you can be in a meeting and, and then, you know, I might even throw in some imagery there and whether it's, um, you know, what, imagine the stress dripping off of you, you know, does it have a, a color? Does it have a texture? Or when you're exhaling, you know, does it have a color? What I do love you that. see it going into the air? And then there's a real mental aspect of it being expelled from your body. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that because I think when I'm engaged in all those levels, it's easier for me to follow my thought rather than getting caught up in this rumination that I, you know, I think what you said about forecasting the future, that's where my worry comes from, right? Well, what if this doesn't happen? Or what if this does happen? And it usually never happens one way or the other. <laughs> you know, it's usually yeah. something completely different. So Right. And that sometimes can be a protective measure so that at least if it's the worst, well, you've prepared yourself, you've already thought about it, right? worried about it. And, you know, that can help you feel like, all right, I'm more prepared for that. And then it likely doesn't happen. <laughs> right. I waste a lot of energy or I spend a lot of energy on things that haven't happened. One thing I came across in my research when, uh, when, I, when I landed on your name and your work is you talked about mental repetitions. What is a mental repetition? And is there an application for that right now in our lives? Definitely, there is. Um, you know, Mental repetitions is kind of just like I was saying in the beginning in mm. terms of training or retraining your brain to think in a more adaptive way. So, you know, let's say you're uh, prone to have a negative attitude 
towards things. I'll just take an example, um, like taking a test. And every time you have a test, you get anxious. So then, you know, we might pinpoint, well, specifically, can you target what it is that makes you anxious? And, and maybe we identify a thought that comes into mind as soon as the person sits down to take their test. It's, you know, what if I fail? And that right there is kind of a setup for anxiety or, you know, yeah. not as good of a performance really. And so we might work on changing that. And I always have the person put it in their own words, but just something that, that feels natural and it's realistic. It's not, you know, Pollyanna, but, but that they need to practice to kind of get that new thought pattern ingrained. So in that example, it might be, you know, I'm prepared. I'm going to nail this test, you know, and, and they don't know, it's kind of like we're saying they don't know the outcome, but maybe they know that they've done all they could do. So, you know, same thing often guys, especially guys or rookies who, who haven't started yet, and maybe they're getting ready for their first game. And there are some, some jitters. I remember um, one person I worked with was, was about to be put in and he felt really nervous and anxious and then went in there and got through the first three plays and then it was game on and he felt felt like it was just like in college and he was off to the races so you know I do that I do the mental repetitions a lot um helping athletes cope through injury too because uh -huh. it's so easy to get stuck in that negative mindset well, and I, I felt that, um, you know, you and I were talking, you have three boys, I have a, a daughter, and we're remote schooling. Um, I saw that happen a lot around a, a group of us mothers beforehand. Well, if this happens, how, what am I going to do? What am I? And finally, my daughter and I just kind of decided together, well, nobody's done it like this before. So we can make yeah. it our own way, right? But I really went down that rabbit hole. First of all, was, she's not going to get the education she needs and I'm not going to have the time to work. And I, I had to pull myself back. So some of this, I think, is, is about catching ourselves and then falling back on the breathing or whatever you're, what, you know, the other things you're teaching us like, well, let's create a new repetition here. What can I feel like after the first day or whatever it is, cutting ourselves some slack maybe too. Right. And, and really looking at something for what it is, you know, sometimes even if you've worried about something and then you get through it, one of my favorites is I got through that ah. because maybe, maybe it didn't even turn out the way you wanted, you know, I'm, I'm always cautious to tell anyone, you know, it'll be okay, or things will get better, because I don't know that, you know, but I do feel confident that one way or another, they will get through this. And, and same, you know, with, with daily life for anyone, it can get messy, it may not be pretty, but you will get through it. And, and you can learn from it. So if it was really just a mess, then, okay, well, what can I take from that? And mm -hmm. where do we go from here? I love that. That's going to be the nip, the simply nifty segment today where I share one of my favorite things. I want you to take a post-it, make it a bright one, stick it above your desk or on your mirror or on the coffee pot and write down in big, bold letters. I got through that because look at what we are doing you guys. I mean, we, we are not slackers here on this planet. Not only are we improving things for ourselves and other people, but we're surviving some really tough things. And I think we can come together and remind ourselves of what we are capable of. So 
write it down, simply nifty, write it on a post-it. I got through this and remind yourself of how awesome you are. Because I think we are, I think we got it going on. We're doing amazing things. Dr. Hastings, anything you want to add about ways we can think our way through this or behave our way through this, make it a little easier or build resilience? I think, you know, two of the most important things, you know, relaxation is important, but you got to be careful because sometimes that can almost feel like a job and Mm -hmm. it stress you out more. So if that happens, you know, you can turn to something else and really two things that I find the most powerful are humor (laughs) and connecting with others. And, you know, when you can, and sometimes you have to dig deep, but if you can (laughs) find that humor in a situation that might be so ridiculous, like where maybe normally you would fall apart or, you know, I cannot believe this is happening to me or, or how much more can I take? Sometimes, you know, you can imagine yourself in a sitcom or, you know, who would play you or is there actually a camera on you? Sometimes I wonder. <laughs> I wonder that too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, but, but humor is so important. And, and that can either be in your inner self-talk or it can be sharing that story with others, which brings me to my second uh, favorite piece is, is connecting with others. And it's not necessarily forcing yourself to be an extrovert if you're an introvert, but if you even have one person or someone you can reach out to and connect on this level of this, this is not easy or, you know, and relate to each other, even if you're relating in, in the mess, then you're not alone in the mess. Then you're, you at least are reassured, Hey, you know, okay, I've, I'm not completely isolated here and, and, you know, on my own. And then you also have somebody else who might say, you know what, we'll get through this together. Mm-hmm. And, and that adds to that self-statement. And, and you might see other people through your connection, get through things. And you can say, you know, I got this, I can do this too. If that person can do it, I can do it. And so, you know, all of those things, and I know they're much easier said than done, but but those are things that can just be helpful, especially during a, a time like this. Absolutely. And I think it becomes easier when we do it. I mean, I'm a total introvert. It's hard for me. And yet when I connect with a friend, not only am I laughing, but I'm also recognizing that we're all here and they're surviving. If they're doing it, I can do it. And it, it's such a pick me up that, that often I don't even realize I need it. I am so much better after those connect. And right now we're doing it on zoom. We're doing it on text. We're doing it on FaceTime things. We're, we're doing it on the back deck and wide open spaces. Um, it's tricky, but it's, it's been worthwhile and really part of my way of getting through, I think. Yes. And I, you know, as I sit here talking to you, I actually have a little framed uh, motto on my desk facing me that says, sometimes a glass of wine with a friend is all the therapy you need. (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely agree. I call it happy hour therapy. Yeah, (laughs) I I write about it in my upcoming book. I call it happy hour therapy because I, I swear a glass of wine with my buddies, all of a sudden I can figure out everything in the world. So yeah. It works out. Dr. Carrie Hastings, how can we find you? Well, you can go to my website, which is drdrcarriehastings.com. And, you know, that's where you can learn more about me and, and what I do. And, um, you know, feel free to connect. Drcarriehastings.com. 
And you can find me at P.L. Campbell on Twitter. So tweet me. Join me on Facebook at Polly Campbell Author. And you can sign up for my newsletter there or track me down on my new web page. In fact, go check it out. I think it's bright and fun. Let me know what you think. And that's www.pollycampbell.com. And you can sign up for my newsletter there, which is like a pep talk in your inbox every few weeks. So check it out. Let's keep this conversation going. Let's connect because together we can get through this, right? And we will all live well, do good, and be happy. Thank you.